Dominic Barton, Global Managing Director of McKinsey & Company, thank you very much indeed for talking to the Cambridge Judge Business School podcast series today here at the Leadership Seminars. Your seminar was focused on the five global forces that are shaping the world at the moment. What are they? Yeah, I, we think that there are five major forces that are going to fundamentally transform how the world looks over the next 10 years. And it'll be something like we haven't seen in over 150 years. But the five specifically are, one, what we call the great rebalancing, which is really the re-rise of Asia, uh, the emerging markets, but primarily China, India, Indonesia, uh, Africa to some extent, and also Brazil. But we're going to look at basically about 1 billion-plus people coming into the middle class in the next 10 years. And we've never seen that ever in our history. And by middle class, I should just point out that's, that's at about 15 to 20 percent of the disposable income of what we'd see in the U.S. or Europe, So it's not or Western Europe. So it's not a classic middle class, but that is a huge shift uh, that, that's occurring, driven by urbanization. And, and that, in terms of East-West and that division, isn't them or us anymore. It's those markets opening up to our knowledge economies of the West. And, and you talked also about, in terms of the rise of, of Asia, the old trade routes coming back in, the old Silk Road in, in China. So it's a very exciting time that needn't polarize the world. I completely agree. I think this is, this is very much in the win-win notion. We need in in uh, in Western Europe and, and the Americas, the huge surge in consumption growth, which we're going to we're going to see uh, primarily in Asia, but also, as I said, in Africa and Brazil, is going to help sustain global growth. That becomes the markets, and you see it already with multinationals. That those are the markets for them now. Uh, so this is a this is going to create jobs everywhere. It's not about jobs being created just in the emerging markets. It's going to create a lot of opportunities for us uh, everywhere. And, and that second um, global force, that uh, productivity revolution, the changing populations, the demographics, the age shifts. Can you enlighten us more about those? Yes. The, the, one of the most significant forces, and this is what we call the second one, is really demographic change, aging population. And while there are some countries like India and Vietnam, which will have quite a young population for quite some time, the bulk of the world is aging. Think about Japan, think about Korea, uh, and think about many countries in Western Europe. And we can at some point expect to see over 30% of the population being over 65 years of age. And that has huge implications in two ways. One is health care, health costs, and so forth. And 80% of those health costs in our last years of in life. last couple of years, yeah, 80% of the costs. So it's a, that's a, going to be a big challenge. And the other one is productivity, because a lot of the productivity growth in the last 30 years in the Western world came from more workers coming into the workforce, not them working harder or better. It was more workers, women coming into the workforce, immigrants coming in. As you look ahead with less children and a more aged population, we're going to have to rely even more on productivity, technology, to be able to get the same growth rates. And that's that third global force that's shaping the world, that global grid, those people who are wired in. I think you said five billion in all I think in, in India, the mobile and, and in the villages and jeans. You know, yeah. the elders of the villages are, are banning mobiles and jeans because they think it's changing the role and status of women. It's amazing, this technological shift. It, it absolutely is. You said five billion handphones that are out there. 
And the other, other thing we talked about is just the availability of information that you can download very quickly, huge amounts. And that, if you're a company and you think about your organization model, you think about where you do your innovation in the world, you have a, it, it really is a much flatter place to work in, and it allows areas of expertise to exist in very remote parts of the world. So it's, it's going to be profound. And what most CEOs are, are saying, the ones that we're seeing on a regular basis, is technology is moving at about three times the speed that management is. The fourth global shift in the world pricing the planet, the world's resources, you know, we have China in Africa, but water, sustainability, China very much thinking of sustainability, it doesn't want growth at all costs now, but but water, you focused on that, why? Well, again, if we go back to one billion plus new middle class consumers that want to buy handphones and want to buy scooters and televisions and fridges, they're going to need a lot of resources to make those, and we simply, you know, don't have all of that to be able to have people living the same way that we consume in the U.S. and in, in Europe, but they deserve to and they want to. So the notion of doing it in a much more sustainable way will be critical. And I mentioned water as an example because water is one of these public goods that's out there. What we worry about is on current course and trajectory with this huge increase in consumption, we will have a 40% over-demand for water than supply by the year 2030. And that's a pretty severe problem. We're already seeing that happening now. You look at northern China, there's big challenges with water. Some of the metrics that in the five-year plan that the Chinese are looking at is actually how much water you use per piece of output. They're actually measuring that. So this notion of resource sustainability and productivity is going to be critical to enable growth to continue. Some people call it green growth, uh, but it's sustainable growth. And then that fifth global factor shaping the world, the market state. You said that, in fact, governments are going to play a bigger role, regulatory issues. And actually, at the end, you told these MBA students at Cambridge Judge Business School here tonight in the Cambridge Leadership Seminar that they needed to be a tri-sector athlete. So they needed to work in social care as well, go out with the vans, deliver the food parcels with your caps on, um, you know, clearly work in the private sector. But what about a bit of government experience too, because there is going to be more regulation in the world and those are the big emerging issues? Exactly. I I think that the the role of the government is going to be more intrusive. And that's because when you look at things like healthcare, and we talked about this aging population, you know, if we just allow people to consume food and whatever sugar and sodium that they want, salt, and who's going to pay for it? And I think you can see the government starting to say, we've got to put a little more regulation on that in terms of how that works. Um, job dislocation. I, we worry with globalization. There's a I see some fairly highly educated people are going to lose jobs in the West, and it's not fair to say, well, too bad, that's the market. They have to be taken care of. Someone's going to have to figure that out, and that typically goes to government. And so the challenges on government, I think, are going to be very severe, and and I think the private sector is going to have to help. You can't just assume, leave it up to the public sector. That's why I go to this tri-sector notion. You, You cannot be a silo. think I'm going to run my business and the government better do their thing and the environment better work properly. I'm just going to focus on what I do. That's just not going to work. If we uh, now look at Dominic Barton at your 
advice and tips. You talked about how you always try and see two CEOs a day, and because if not, you're just dealing internally with McKinsey people and not focusing externally enough. You talked about loneliness being a factor in being a CEO in a company today. And, and then, you know, those lovely little stories about the CEOs who, who wear dirty shirts and you tell them to brush up, who go uh, to give presentations without their presentations and leave them behind. And, and those who I say, well, Dominic, I always take three hours off a day. Um, there's always a torpedo in the water when you asked right. why. Different management styles for different CEOs, it seems. Yeah, and I, th- I think different management styles, but also changes in what we think leadership should be. I mean, we are trained about the bold leader with a clear vision and a plan and steady goes the ship. This is a much more volatile, fast-changing world, and so I think that's requiring people to adapt their leadership style. You have to be much more open for different ideas. You cannot simply know everything. There's just too much with that global grid and with the changes going on. You're going to have to build leaders quickly to be able to do what you need to do. Uh, And so the, the challenge has gone up. The possibility of making mistakes has got higher, and that's also, I think, makes people feel more anxious and lonely. It's, t- it's, a, it's very tough because there's so um, much stress. And they don't necessarily trust their boardrooms. Yeah, I think it's, a, you know, some, it's hard to be completely you know, laying all your guts on the table to say what you're worried about because you always have to keep in the back of your mind, will people think you know, there's a fundamental issue with this person or not? So it's just being more cautious. You, 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 there's, there's, there's a sense of who can you really talk to to be able to get... Um, a, a clear perspective on what on what to do without it somehow being interpreted as you're weak or you have a problem or a challenge. Well, if we look at you, you are indeed a, a global managing director of McKinsey and Company. It's troubled times. You've had Enron now insider trading, and you say that you have you know felt a, a great deal of gratitude for having people you could go to. And, and in terms of your own personal story, there have been ups and downs too, haven't they? And, and you never know what's on the horizon. What do you, as a global CEO, have to cope with? No, I, I, well, I think, again, it's, the, um, it's torpedoes or sudden shocks. And certainly this, uh, everything related around this galleon affair has you know, really shaken us up. It, it's humiliating because values are a very important part of what we are. So, and that wasn't in the game plan, if you will. So you have to, but you have to deal with it. We have to work it through. It's a, an organization that, you know, we'll take this, we'll learn from it, and we'll, we just have to be better at it. So this, this, to me, is an example of what I think there are things like this that occur, and you better f- push forward and, and deal with it, be transparent about it. Uh, but I think there's a, there's a lot more challenges and issues out there for, for, for business leaders as they, as they go ahead, and this is certainly a big one for us, a very, very big one. Well, if we then take a phrase of yours in your own personal story, and we won't repeat the one about your wife going to see the, the company about <laughs> your career prospects, but um, we'll leave that for another day. But, but you did say lucky people have more bad luck, and you yeah. thought there was a reason for that, and that was that, that actually successful people have more failures. They're more uh, persistent. They persevere more. And, and that mentors were where you might not think they were, at, yeah. at the time. Is, is that why you've succeeded and got to the top, Dominic Barton, as global managing director of McKinsey & Company, because you're quite simply persistent? Uh, yeah, I, do, I don't 
wouldn't define myself as successful. I think that'll you know will decide way down the road how you deal with the issues that come up. But I I do think this notion of um, trying you know persevering is extremely important. Persistence and and also risk taking. That's what I found sort of inspiring about the notion of you know people uh, lucky people or successful people have more bad luck is the more the notion they try more things and they actually fail more they but they but they get ahead because they keep picking themselves up the people that are you know just sitting there trying to plan out can i get from x to y what would happen if i do this and that you don't move forward and and so i think there's something about taking risk and and then picking yourself up when you inevitably get get smacked down which will happen and i and i will it will continue to happen but i think you just pick yourself up when you keep going and just finally for those MBA postgrads at Cambridge Judge Business School here tonight and on our courses, what tips, if they're coming or want to come to McKinsey, what are you going to look out for? Someone rushing in and bombarding you with their, their CV or a more cautious pe- person sitting back and judging you? Well, I, I, I hope that people are aggressive about wanting to join and explore and meet some of the people because I think at the end of the day in organizations, the people. So, and I, I would... I would sort of say, please never hesitate to jump in. You, you know, I can, you know, the, the selection process to get into this school is extraordinarily high, and so you're leaders by definition. And I think I, you know, I would be pushy and persistent, but I would also be, you know, curious, if you will, and try and learn what are different paths people have taken, and be open to trying different approaches while keeping your ambition or your goal uh, clear. Well, that is indeed in line with your tips, which were uh, keep your dreams at all costs. Uh, Dominic Barton, Global Managing Director of McKinsey & Company, thank you very much for talking to Cambridge Judge Business School here tonight at the Cambridge Leadership Seminar. I've enjoyed it. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.